Psalm 130, a song of ascents. Out of the depths I cry to you, O Lord. O Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to the voice of my pleas for mercy. If you, O Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? But with you there is forgiveness, that you may be feared. I wait for the Lord, my soul waits, and in his word I hope. My soul waits for the Lord, more than watchmen for the morning, more than watchmen for the morning. O Israel, hope in the Lord, for with the Lord there is steadfast love, and with him is plentiful redemption, and he will redeem Israel from all his iniquities. Good morning, Rio Vista. How is everybody doing this morning? My name is Sam Caston-Smith, and I am the headmaster at Bethany Christian School, and also the third string pastor here. <clears throat> Hopefully you'll... Anyway, never mind. <laughs> um, but anyway, uh, the last time I was up here, we talked about our campaign that we were doing for the school with Boosterthon, not just to support the efforts of the school, but to raise funds to pack more than 20,000 meals that we would send to our partners in Haiti, where we have an orphanage and our pen pals and Mission of Hope and all these wonderful things. And our goal was $50,000. And I just want to thank you because we crushed that goal and uh, came in close to $65,000. So thank you. And this morning, we're going to talk about Psalm 130. This is known in the, in the Latin, not to show off Latin because I don't know Latin, um, but it's called De Profundis, means out of the depths. It's the name of this psalm, partly because the opening words of this psalm are out of the depths I cry. And it's a psalm of ascent, which means to go up. And so even the psalm, the language of the psalm, the, the pattern of the psalm starts low, out of the depths I cry. But this psalm of ascent is going to end with exhilarating worship and a reflection of this beautiful, amazing God that we serve and the hope that we have in Him and the redemption that we have in Him and all that is beautiful about Him is where this psalm leads you. And even the geography of Israel preaches a message and the way that they would do these pilgrimages back in the days. You can look at this map. This is the last trip that Jesus will ever make to Jerusalem. And you can see he starts on the shores of Galilee, which is up to the north. You can see Capernaum, which is to the, at the very top right. And he comes down and he's going to make his way through Samaria. But they will not have him. They won't accept him into the cities of Samaria. And so like all of the other Jews who never wanted to go through Samaria for three different reasons. One, you can go back to the map. One, in Samaria... The Jews thought of the Samaritans as half-breeds. They were considered wicked. They were immoral. Plus, it was kind of an unsafe territory. And then the most practical, right when you went through Samaria, was a lot of mountain ranges, and it made it for difficult traveling. And so the pilgrims would go around the Sea of Galilee, catch the Jordan, and follow the Jordan Valley, which went directly from the Sea of Galilee down to the Dead Sea. 
they would avoid Samaria altogether. But before we enter into the psalm, I want to take just a moment to tell you about one encounter that Jesus had with one of those Samaritans. Because we're talking about pilgrimages, right? And this is a hundred mile trek that you are required to go into the presence of God at His temple three times a year. And I want you to stop for just a moment. If the requirement was that you go into the presence of God three times a year, and that involved you taking up your possessions, your family, all of your stuff that would be necessary to make this journey and to go the hundred plus miles when you consider all the twists and turns that it would take you to go through the mountain passes and the dangerous stuff to finally get to the temple because back then that is where you were going to find forgiveness. That's where you would sacrifice the lamb for, your, for the forgiveness of sins for that year. That's where you found the high priest and the priest who would offer sacrifices. That's where the Lord dwelled. And so if you wanted intimate, authentic relationship, it was thought that's where you had to go. It was a massive ordeal with a lot of challenges and barriers. And so I want to ask you this morning, what are the barriers between you and your God? It might, it might not be the hundred mile trip. Maybe it's shame. Maybe it's guilt. Maybe it's anger or pain or feeling like you can't measure up or just flat out resentment of Him. What I want you to understand by the time we get through talking about this psalm is our God is about taking those barriers that separate you from a heart that delights in you and getting rid of them. He wants you to be with Him. So Jesus in Samaria one time, in John chapter 4, He comes across a Samaritan woman. And this Samaritan woman is there and Jesus comes to her and she's there at the middle of the day. He feels utterly compassionate for this woman she on the other hand is there in the middle of the day because she's ashamed and he comes to her and he he breathes life into her and dignity into her and it doesn't matter about her past so much but then he starts poking at her heart and I want you to hear what she says because this is important when we're talking about pilgrimages back in the ancient day and how Jesus is going to confront them she looks at him and says, you Jews say that we must worship on the mountain in Jerusalem. I'm a Samaritan. I'm a sinner. I'm shameful. I can't do that. I'm separated. Jesus looks at this woman and says this. I love this. He looks at you and says this. Believe me. A time is coming when you, woman, and all of your shame and all of your separation and all the, the loneliness and your hurts, you will worship the Father neither on this mountain here or on the mountain in Jerusalem. A time is coming and has now come when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth for they're the kind of worshipers that the Father seeks. God is a spirit. And His worshipers must worship the Spirit and truth. Jesus is pointing this woman to a day where she's saying, 
there's not going to be any more pilgrimages. There's not going to be any more temple. There's not going to be any more sacrificial system where you have to go every year. There's not going to be wicked mediators and priests and people who shame you and keep you out of the presence of God. All that is coming to an end. And even on Jesus' last time, as he goes from Galilee and travels and turns, and he hits the Jordan and travels down the Jordan Basin to Jericho, every step he takes is to transform that woman and to transform you and me on his last trip to Jerusalem where he is going to be hung on a cross for us. God speaks to us not just through the words but and the images like even even the motions that we make when it talks about having outstretched arms or our faces on the ground God intends for us to see something in those and even the geography of Israel is preaching a message here the waters of the Jordan and I want you to hang with me they they tell the story of redemption almost the waters of the Jordan start at Mount Hermon outside of Israel. This, this mountain that's almost two miles high when its ice caps melt, that water flows down into the Jordan, into Galilee where Jesus loved this beautiful, almost Edenic garden-like place where everything is green and wonderful. It is great. Then it comes out of, the, out, of the Gal, out of Galilee and it flows in the Jordan. The name Jordan literally means in Hebrew to go down. This water flows down from Galilee toward the Dead Sea. And eventually you see the Jordan. This would have been the kind of place the Jordan runs through Israel and finally it flows into the Judean wilderness. And so as you're traveling south on this pilgrimage from Galilee, you go from this wonderful place where everything is lush and lots of life and growth and finally you end up here in the Judean wilderness where there is no life. And this, by the way, is the area where the Jordan this is where baptism is happening, where John is baptizing people. And so you see the waters flow from the holy mountain through the Edenic place where the gardens are in Galilee and it comes down, 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 down to the place where there's nothing and it's barren. And this is where baptism is happening. This is where life is supposedly, new life is emerging with baptism. And here's the deal. It's at this point, if you remember that original map where they would turn toward Jerusalem, to the holy city and all of those waters that go past this area the waters of baptism that cleanse from sin they continue to flow down 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 and they end up at the lowest place on the surface of the earth the dead sea the lowest place on the surface of the earth and at this place, no life can be sustained. No life at all. In fact, the waters are so salt-filled that they're nearly ten times the salinity of the ocean. If, you ever, if you've ever been to the Dead Sea, and as a lady, if you've just shaved your legs and you walk into the Dead Sea, you're going to let someone know about it. Woo! If you have open cuts... You're going to know about it. They have a timer on the beach that's for 15 minutes because you cannot stay in that water for more than 15 minutes without it hurting you. It's so salt-filled that you can see that picture of me floating in about four feet of water 
Sorry, I wish I could have found someone better to, to do that photo shoot, but it's so salty that you actually float above the water. So think about that. Everything in that story of going from the holy mountain, that's our beginnings that flow through this Edenic garden-like paradise, is coming down, down, down into this place where no life is. That's where baptism happens. What is baptism? We just saw it. You know what the, the Scripture says about baptism? In Romans 6, it says that it is a picture of resurrection, that under the waters you die. And coming out of the waters... It's a resurrection. It's a picture of new life. And so these pilgrims, on their way into the depths of death, at the place where the ministry of baptism is happening, they turn. If they don't turn, they go right into death. And when they turn at the Dead Sea Basin, they're at the lowest point on the surface of the earth, and they have to go up to the mountain of Jerusalem. That's why this psalm is called the psalm, a psalm of ascent. There are 15 psalms from Psalm 120 to Psalm 134 where when they made that turn and they're on that 18-mile trek up to Jerusalem, they're singing these psalms. For those that have lived in the lands of exile, they've come a long way. This is their hope. This is where their sins are going to be forgiven. This is where they're going to find communion with God. This the importance of this trip can't be overstated, but when they make that turn, they've got to go 18 miles, climbing a mile in elevation to get back up to Jerusalem. This way is called Adumim, which means the red place because the rocks look like they're stained with blood. They have a, a reddish hue to them. And you're climbing, and it is a rough climb. If you've ever heard the parable of the Good Samaritan where... They get, this is it. There's thieves and robbers. It's a perfect place for ambush. It's the perfect place for someone to come and take your stuff and beat you. It's very dangerous to travel this. And this is your last shot, your last little stretch before you finally get to the Mount of Olives. And when you reach the peak of the Mount of Olives and you come over it, there is the holy city. There's the temple, Herod's temple, shining with its gold and its marble and everything so wonderful. This would have been a wildly emotional trip. And so when we read this psalm, let's enter into that. I want you to imagine Jesus walking with His disciples in the crowds as they make their way down the Jordan, turn, and now they're on the Jericho Road walking this dangerous uphill, hard climb to be in the presence of God. Out of the depths, literally, out of the depths, I cry to you. What are your depths? Like I can, I can look at the, the news of this world. I have to stop looking at the internet because it's so depressing. It just feels like humankind is sprinting to gross sin and ugliness. I feel it in my life. Why can't I just finally have victory over these things that I struggle with? Why am I not a better husband? Why am I not a better dad? I, I feel all of this on me and it's like I'm crying out, Lord, fix this, please. 
out of the depths, I cry to you. And unlike the other Psalms we've been looking at, this, these aren't circumstances imposed. Nobody's unjustly chasing after me when I cry this out. This is me going to the Lord saying, I am a mess. I am the one who's brought this on me. Help me. Out of the depths, I cry to you, O Lord. Hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to my pleas, to the voice of my pleas for mercy. If you, O Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? You know, you go through the Bible, you know every time one of the major heroes of the Bible is confronted by the angel of the Lord or the Lord's glory, do you know what happens? Face plant. When the Lord in His glory comes to a sinful Adam, Adam, whoo, I'm out of here, i got to hide. When He appears at Sinai, what does Moses say? What do the people say? Let us not see Him, for we shall die. Ezekiel, Daniel, John, Peter, all these biblical heroes, when they're confronted with the glory of God, say, get away. Go away. I can't. I'm not worthy to stand in your presence. Like, we don't get the holiness of God and how ferociously good He is. And if we're honest with ourselves, we are perpetually self-absorbed. I will say I am perpetually self-absorbed, just to not offend anybody, but let's, let's just face it. We are all perpetually self-absorbed. When I get up and I pray, you want to know what's wandering through my head as, as a pastor up here? I wonder what they're thinking of me. Don't say anything dumb, Sam. Don't say anything dumb. How are they liking this sermon? When I apologize to my wife, you want to know what I'm thinking? Right on. She didn't apologize first. Like, which by the way, never happens. Just throwing that out there to prevent a post-church squabble. But we're like, it's about us. We can't help it. Right? We are overwhelmed with self-absorption. I love this. This is written by, in the Valley of Vision, it's written by a Puritan. I just want to share it with you because I think this is so profound. This guy's writing. He gets grace. He understands the Lord's goodness. And yet he still says this. I need to repent of my repentance. I need my tears to be washed. I have no robe to bring to cover my sins. No loom to weave my own righteousness. I'm always standing clothed in filthy garments. And by grace, I'm always receiving a change of raiment. For you always justify the ungodly. I'm always going to the far country and always returning as a prodigal, always saying, Father, forgive me. And you're always bringing forth the best robe. Oh, every morning, let me wear it. Every evening, return in it. Go out to the day's work in it. Be married in it. Be wound in death in it. And stand before the great white throne in it. Enter into heaven shining like the sun in it. Grant me never to lose sight of the exceeding sinfulness of sin, the exceeding righteousness of salvation, the exceeding glory of Christ, the exceeding beauty of holiness, and the exceeding wonder of your grace. 
When we see God, we need to not just see Him as as a taste of something mild. No, every bit of Him is infinite in its nature, His holiness. Wow! Who could stand in front of it? His grace, oh my goodness, I'm constantly running away and you're constantly clothing me. You are so good. We need to stand in wonder of who this God is. And Psalm 130, this was one of Martin Luther the, the, who launched the Reformation. This is one of his four favorite psalms because he said it captured the gospel so well that we come to him and say, out of the depths, I can't do this. Look at where I've landed on my own works. Look at where, where I have ended up without you. Out of the depths I cry for mercy. Who could stand before you? And yet... With you, there's forgiveness that you might be feared. And, and, and stop for a moment because we go, wait a minute, that just sounds weird. Because you give forgiveness, you're to be feared? Like you would think it would say, with you there's judgment that you might be feared, right? Like it reads weird. If there's forgiveness, why would I fear him? The psalmist is saying our condition is so desperate. It is so without hope from any other source that we so desperately need Him that we fear not being with Him. It would be like if somebody released a toxic chemical in here that was poisoning us slowly all to death and Pastor Lominick had the antidote. Right now, everybody's going, where's Pastor Lominick? We got to protect him. We got to make sure he gets here safe because he has the only antidote. And this is it. Our God, our Savior has the only antidote to bring us out of the depths. We can't stand before Him. We can't take our filthy rags and our our broken deeds and go before Him and all of His holiness and stand and expect to be justified. My goodness, if heaven is perfect and they let me in, I'm going to ruin the place. I need to be made righteous. And there's only one who can do that. One, I need him. I need to fear what it means to be without him because I know where I'll end up. I wait, and that word would be so much better translated long. I long for the Lord. So imagine Jesus with these crowds coming up the hill looking to get to the temple, the presence of God, right? I long for the Lord. My soul longs. And in His Word, I hope my soul longs for the Lord more than a watchman for the morning. More than a watchman for the morning. What is He saying here? Like eventually, I'm looking, I'm looking, I'm in the depths, I'm I'm miserable, but I know... At some point, the sun is going to come up and that sun, when it rises, is going to drive away all of the darkness. So like a watchman waiting for the morning, I might be in the darkness right now, but man, I am constantly longing. I am constantly on the lookout for when God's mercy and grace is going to break through and bring a change to me, pull me out of the depths. Man, I long, I wait I can't wait for Him to deliver me from me and my anxieties and fears and hurts and alienation and loneliness and all the ways where I put up barriers between me and my God. I want to be with Him. I want Him to be with me. How I long for that. 
And finally, in the last verse, O Israel, hope in the Lord, for with the Lord there is steadfast love. The word there is chesed. It means covenant, unbreakable, one-way love. Nothing's going to take it away from you. He is steadfast in your favor no matter how far you run, no matter what your deeds look like. He is never going to let go of His covenantal love for you. It's unbreakable, unyielding, unrelenting. It is coming for you kind of love. And with Him, I love this, there is plentiful redemption. Just throw in that adjective, plentiful. He doesn't come to redeem part of it. He's not coming to redeem part of your wound or part of this or part of... No, He's going to not only redeem everything that you're begging for, but it's going to be plentiful redemption. What He's going to do with you and through you is going to overflow and become so beautiful that you will marvel at who He is. And He will redeem Israel from all His iniquities. And a lot of us want to read that and we go, well, Israel, that's not me. No, you are Israel. In the New Testament, we're told this again and again, that by faith in Christ, you are a son of Abraham. You are grafted in. You are now Israel, God's chosen people. And in Him, He will redeem Israel from their iniquities. You from your iniquities. And so I like to imagine Jesus walking up the hill, the 18 miles, this difficult terrain. And I want you to imagine Him hearing those around Him that are, that are weeping in their hurts, that are coming with all their burdens, that have been storing up all these things that they want to lay down to the Lord at His temple. And He's hearing them crying out, out of the depths I cry to you. What would it have been like for Jesus to hear that? If you counted our iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? Oh, we wait, we long, we long to be with the Lord. We long to be with the Lord like a watchman waiting for morning, like a watchman waiting for morning. And Jesus hears this and redeeming, you know, that He'll redeem them from their iniquities, that their hope is in Him. And I'll tell you, I imagine Jesus smiling through that whole song, thinking, I'm it. By, by me, I'm going to make every lyric of this song come true. This is going to be your hope. This is your redemption. I'm going to welcome you in. I'm going to pull you up out of the depths. I just imagine Jesus beaming with delight as He thinks about accomplishing our redemption because this is our song it's his steadfast love for us it's our redemption that we're singing about here but there's one question in this psalm that's key it's verse three. O oh lord if you were to mark all of our iniquities who could stand And where everybody else on that road to Jerusalem who's looking to offer up their sacrifices to receive forgiveness, to be with the priest, while everybody else is going, this is a hopeless question, we can't. Jesus steps into that question. If you were to count up all of our iniquities, who could stand? And Jesus says, I can. I will. 
And as he walks up the road of blood, he's anticipating another mountain that he's going to have to climb. Another mountain of blood where he will not only stand, but he will stand in our place. He's going to go to the depths so that we can rise to the heavens. He's going to embrace the shame so that we can be exalted in the eyes of the Father. He is going to die so that we can have new life. He's going to suffer so that we can have glory. He is going to be the one who walks up that difficult road to stand in our place, to transform everything. And by His accomplishment in heaven, He has this conversation with that Samaritan woman that says, do you remember what I said? No more temple, no more priests, no more annual sacrifices. I told you that God the Father wanted worshipers like you, that you would become a worshiper right where you are in spirit and truth. And here's, here's the amazing thing. Those pilgrims traveled hundreds of miles to get to the temple. Do you realize that by what Christ has done for us, that temple is now here? The presence of God is in you. There's no pilgrimage. He dwells in you. He loves you intensely. He became the great high priest, your only mediator that you need. He became the sacrifice, the Lamb of God put on a cross once and for all time. There's no more substitutionary atonement. There's no more need for a temple because we don't need something that separates us from His holy because in Christ on the cross, you have been clothed in His righteousness. And so let's go back to that question. If, O oh Lord, you were to count up all of our iniquities, who could stand? And the answer that we give is in Christ I can. He has made me beautiful and radiant and righteous, not by anything that I've done, but all by His goodness to accomplish my redemption, to give me hope. And oh man, I know that someday all my sin is going to be wiped away and I'm going to be glorified in His presence and I'm going to see His smile and to know His laughter and how wild His affection is, to be able to see that on His face. Someday that's going to happen. And man... I long for that day like a watchman waiting for the Son of Glory to come up and drive all the darkness away to shower us in His radiant righteousness to call us home to Him to be done with the depths. We serve an amazing God. He is so good. Let's pray. Father, Lord, I thank you for your goodness, for your kindness, for your love, for your covenant love, for the fact that you sing over us. Lord, I pray that it wouldn't be lost on us, this incredible privilege that we are now the temples of God. What weight, what gravity you have given to us. 
Lord, help us to be mindful of that, that we would know that we are temples of God where people encounter the living God through us, that we are letters from Christ to this world. Lord, I pray for each and every person in here that in whatever way they might be in the depths, that whatever way they might find obstacles from drawing near to you, I pray that just as you did for the Samaritan woman, Lord, that you would wipe all that away from our sight and remind us that you are a God who delights in us and would spare no expense, none, to draw us near to you. We pray all this in Christ's name. Amen.